The Start On Demand. On demand. As we head into the weekend, we got a couple of great sports-related stories. One, we're going to speak to the Keeper of the Grey Cup. What a cool title, hey? The Keeper of the Cup. He has some amazing stories to share about his special connection to the Grey Cup. As well, Sunday marks the 100th anniversary of the Winnipeg Falcons Olympic gold medal. We'll speak to author Eric Zweig about that. Life in quarantine. We'll speak to Chelsea Rowe, who is the wife of former Winnipeg Blue Bomber Craig Rowe. She's been in quarantine now for almost two weeks. She is eagerly anticipating her freedom on Sunday. And Greg had some problems with the barbecue yesterday. So we are going to have a conversation about what is your favorite barbecue meal. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Friday, April 24th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it is Friday, and guys, I, uh, I've got a bit of a sunburn. I was sitting out on my balcony yesterday in a t-shirt and shorts. It was just glorious. Good morning first to you, Loren McNabb. It's a game changer, Brett. Good morning. I, I thought yesterday that weather is a whole lift to the spirits, no matter where you are and what you're doing. If you had a chance to go outside yesterday, it I I have felt never felt as good as I did yesterday in weeks. It was lovely, and I actually weirdly don't have the sunburn, and I'm the redhead. <laughs> I even it put makes on no sense. I put on sunblock too. I think I just cool. I, my balcony faces west, uh, so it's just I was sitting outside cooking in uh, the sun because it it just faces directly down upon me. So it was wonderful. I'll take a little bit of a sunburn next time. We'll just exercise some more caution. Now, Greg, you. Uh, on, had a bit of misfortune related oh, to the weather. Oh, I did. I did. I had a great day yesterday. It was great to press that button in the ceiling of the of the edge and just press the button and zzz, open up the sunroof for the first time. Genuinely, this year was so great to feel the sunshine in. And so I uh, had a couple of projects outside with the boys yesterday. We thought, hey, let's barbecue some hamburgers. Jackie says, oh, you sure you have propane? Of course we have propane. We have two tanks. <laughs> Go out. Both tanks are empty. <laughs> oh, God. Never fails. The it's cockiness. True. The cockiness it's, got me. What is that about propane? I don't know how many times that's happened where I just, and I get so excited for a barbecue. Like just the, the going for a walk yesterday alone and the smell of everybody firing up their grills. Just like there's something about that that's exciting. Ugh. But then when you don't have the propane. <laughs> Uh, and I usually it is frustrating I usually use my barbecue in the winter I didn't this winter and so it was the first time probably since October or November that I was firing it up and anyway uh, we'll try again tonight yeah I've got a I don't have a full-size barbecue but I won at a golf tournament with uh, the team from Torque Brewing I won a little sort of like a mini barbecue I guess it's like a like a camper size barbecue uh so that actually i think would be perfect for my balcony i would just need to get a table or something to to prop that up so i should probably do that but i too would be the guy to run out of propane has it ever happened to you greg where you are in the middle of cooking something and then the propane runs out yes oh yes i still get reminded of uh that occasion we had jackie's mom and dad over i think there were at least six if not eight of us and i was doing some steaks and these aren't really cooking at all and uh, had to go and get the propane in the middle of our gathering which is unique but it was the night of my 40th birthday my neighbor actually came and took my barbecue because he had a house full of people as well and his barbecue wasn't working at all so he came and got my barbecue so uh, I like to think that I paid it forward on the barbecue front I thought the propane gods would take care of me but uh, here we are today (laughs) Uh, I'm propaneless there has to be a god of propane (laughs) Hank Hell is the propane god is he not (laughs) (laughs) he let me down Uh, But the question with propane, and I never know, and and, and people must just be better at it than me. When you lift up the tank, it always feels like there's something in there. Like, it's it's impossible. I know they got all sorts of things and tips and little 
what do you call it? The, the, the reading on there. I can't tell. I pick it up and I'm like, feels heavy to me. Let's do this. That's the same. Yeah. I not, yeah. I, I'll knock on the tank. Yeah. You know, it's going to dung, dung, dung. Yeah, sounds <laughs> good. What's it supposed to sound like? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> it's supposed to sound like hot dogs is what it sounds like. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Fortier is here. And the tweet that went out last night from Greg Mackling read as follows. <laughs> I went to fire mine up, my barbecue, in response to Hal Anderson, who was uh, sending out pictures of the steaks and shrimp he was cooking up last night. So Greg says, I went to fire mine up. Jackie says, you have propane for sure, right? Of course, we have two tanks. Both empty. So, anyway, that little mishap got us talking about barbecuing stuff, and now we want to know what's your favorite barbecue meal. So, Jeff Braun, uh, do you have a grill outside your apartment or your condo? Oh, yeah, I do. And first, I got a tip for Greg. This happens to me a lot. You run out of propane in October or something like that, and you don't, you're just like, well, that's it. That's the last barbecue of the year. I go to my phone in the calendar. I go to the end of March and I put a note in there that says, you are out of propane. And then the next spring comes around and it's like, ah, I need propane. All right. Then you don't Thank get burned. Thank you very much, Jeff Braun. I'm doing that right now. That's 2021. Organized. I can't believe you're that. Well, I guess I can believe Braun's that organized. That's crazy. Yeah. My go-to, my favorite meal is uh, barbecued uh, farmer sausage from Pioneer Meats in Altona. That's it hits the spot with however you prepare it, whatever you put it with. I just put it on a bun with cheese and a glass of tap water, and I'm good to go. What about you, Kelly Moore? Glass of tap water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I picked up on that right away, too. Uh, yeah, it, it may seem a little strange to people, because I love everything barbecued, but uh, our favorite are barbecued pork steaks. We cannot eat them any other way, uh, but... Uh, Boy, I, I don't know. It's been, you know, the last 30 or 40 years. We just absolutely love barbecuing pork steaks. Pork steak. That sounds good. What about you, Forte? I like a charcoal cooked burger. A charcoal? Yeah. Charcoal barbecue. Oh, yeah. yeah we call those hockey pucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they're delicious. That gives a nice smoky taste. It's delicious. So you prefer a grill? Uh, is that what you could a grill over a barbecue? Or like a propane barbecue? No, it, well, charcoal. Charcoal okay. barbecue. Okay. I think we had one of those when I was a kid. It's been a while. I don't barbecue a lot, so I find all the, the entire culture of barbecue fascinating. Uh, what about you, Loren? Oh, that's a, it just depends on the day about what you're feeling, but it's actually really hard. I was thinking this last night. I had made um, supper, and it, and it wasn't on the barbecue. And then I'm like, why am I not doing something on the barbecue? Because you just feel compelled at this time of year to put everything you can on it. I, I would have to go steak probably first, but I do, as I've said before, I do love just a good hot dog or a hamburger. And I like the hot dogs that have the fake cheese inside of them that explodes and burns you every single time. And it's, you know it's not real. It's just a pure chemical injection, but you're like, damn, that's tasty. <laughs> Maybe they could make Lysol hot dogs and burgers. Oh, oh. <laughs> First we had Trump steaks. Now we have Lysol injected hot dogs. What do you like, Mackling? Well, I mean, steaks and hot dogs, I suppose, are a given. Uh, but about 20 years ago, a fuse blew on my stove, and my buddy Viking and I had to cook everything on a barbecue for about three months because we were, were too lazy to change the fuse on the on, on the stove. And so pizza is a favorite of mine on the barbecue. I've got a pizza stone so that it sort of mimics a forno oven action. And you guys were talking about charcoal. I, we, I feel like we need Phil Squarey from Lux Barbecue or Evan from Lux yeah. Barbecue on this segment. But charcoal barbecuing has come back into uh, popularity. That big green egg is also super popular. But I'm looking at a tweet from our colleague Skylar Peters from uh, the other night. He was cooking ribs on the barbecue oh, so yeah. a pork of a different kind kelly moore yeah and yeah. let me tell you to do slow cooked ribs in the oven for five six hours and then to finish them off on the barbecue i don't know if there is anything better 
And Brett, you know, one of the things I love about this time of the year, because everybody's anxious to do it, but when you go for neighborhood walks yeah. mm-hmm. and you can smell all the barbecues, mm-hmm. that, oh, oh, that man, happened oh, yesterday man, oh, man. when I was out for a walk. You could just smell it and like just get so hungry. Although Adam wants to know at 204-780-6868, I'd like to know why you aren't barbecuing all winter long like true Winnipeggers slash Manitobans. <laughs> yeah, we, we know some people do it all year round, but for some it's a seasonal thing and it's like a, an annual rite of passage it's welcoming the spring back into our and, lives and the difference between winter uh, we barbecue in the winter but i don't feel like you notice it as much as you do because a probably more people are doing it this time of year but i don't know if there's something just about the when you're out more so you notice the grilly more like i almost want to make it a game like oh that smells good i wonder what they're having knock on the door just curious <laughs> are we uh doing yeah, pork yeah. tonight or beef oh beef great and then just carry on with your walk like, you know, uh, it, oh you mean you're not going to go into their kitchen and sit out and have dinner know, with them or? it could be like um like a in this in this self-isolation game where you're going for a walk and ask people to post it in their window and you can blindfold somebody and say what do you think they're making oh romaine lettuce on the grill good idea well then uh, one of our listeners texted us that they ever try a grilled romaine lettuce is that a thing yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's good you should try it you have to be careful about how you do it because it can be it can obviously burn really easily and but you can take the whole head of lettuce grill it on the barbecue and then you drizzle your caesar dressing or whatever over top and it's amazing wow okay corn but- on the cob is is really good on the barbecue too guys oh yeah Oh yeah, corn big, on the cob, big potato, mm. and uh, and we got a text uh, seconding your suggestion on pizza, Greg Tony, and I love that he does this in third person. Tony says pizza on the smoker. <laughs> uh. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. It's Friday. We've been talking this morning about what a return to our new normal and what a slow reopening of the economy might look like, Loren. Yeah, and we know it won't be business as usual. It really hasn't been business as usual for weeks now. But the work has continued for so many of us and that many shops. They have remained open trying to help Manitobans get through this pandemic or, or at least help them do many of the things that they want to be doing or would normally be doing at this time of year. And if you're like me, that includes taking a look at your yard or your deck and trying to figure out what you could do. In fact, I stood out on the deck last night, Greg, and started making a list of all the things I'd like to try to accomplish this spring to sort of spruce things up. As I cried over my empty propane tanks, I was looking at my deck and realizing I need a rebuild and I might be going to see this guy. They are the coaches at our friend's Olympic Building Centre. Marcel Pelland is the general manager there. He's also a coach and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Marcel. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? Well, as we've been saying, we're doing as well as it can, as can be expected. I love the fact that you guys take this coaching mantra so seriously at Olympic Building Supply. Just, just tell us a little bit about where, where that originated, Marcel, and that whole philosophy of, of describing yourself and calling yourself coaches there. Um, it originated uh, prior to me joining the company over 10 years ago, but the, the theme still holds true and probably more true than ever. Yeah, you know, I think most of us have had someone influence us in our lives that gave us that mentorship and leadership at a pivotal moment. So a coach really represents that if they've been a good coach to you. And for us, uh, it helped us do many, many things. So it helped, uh, you know, break down the barriers of misunderstanding that a a customer might have on a project and know that they were going to be working with someone hand in hand that would help them repeat and practice and get, and get to a best practice. So that, that really holds true today. And that's what we're busy with right now. We are actually spending a lot of our time walking through the how to do it and how to do it safely, um, how to do it with best practice, and how to do it, of course, the building codes and standards. Uh, and if, as you two just mentioned in your backyards, or the three of you just mentioned in your backyards, uh, in, a, in a new way, in a beautiful way. Well, in terms of the list of questions you get, is there one that sort of stands out as the most common? Uh, okay, well, let's put... How much does that cost aside? Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but that, that really is the number one question, and everything else is two and three below. But right now, the, the, the early question that comes out is, I'm thinking about doing it. Where do I start? And in our process and our experience, we, we ask people to start at just you know, standing out there in your, your backyard environment. And let's, let's just put the projects that are at hand. You've got a shed, a deck, a fence maybe a patio, a hardscape there, some landscaping. 
um, and your your uh, garage, and you're looking at the area, uh, we'd like to ask people a couple of questions. How do you want to live there? So, Loren, I heard you mention you know, you're standing out there thinking about what you want to do, but literally, will I eat outside? It's a good question because having a dining area that's unused might not be good expense. Um, so, that little bit about how you live with your family. So that starts there on design, and then on the uh, the next step would be all right. Let's get some measurements. Let's pull a tape measure out. Let's use our phones. We got these great cameras and video. Let's take a few measurements of where my door goes down, where my steps are, and give a bit of a perspective. So when you come in and talk to a coach uh, at the Olympic Billing Center, they can see uh, where you're at, and then the vision can get placed inside of that. Everything's doable. It's all scalable, up or down, size, budget. Everything's there. That comes after you spend some time thinking through how you want to live, and then we can work with that. And we've got suggestions, obviously, but the first questions are, how am I going to live here? What am I going to do? It's a great place to start, Ms. Marcel. And I'm wondering within that conversation, because often I'll, I'll point things out in the spring and then my husband, I think, looks at me and walks away because he doesn't want to hear, you know, the long sure. list of projects I might plan. But also on both of our minds is the question, can we actually do this? Not just in the affordability, yeah. but do I have the skill set to actually make this come to life? So, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it this way. Of course you do. The, the skill set starts with the wherewithal learning so what the coach is there for is to help teach you and guide you if if you're not committed to that part of it it will be be harder for you so if you throw the type of person that throws the instructions away now you know you've got to change that habit a little bit so that's that's your part of it uh but the rest of it is very doable in in our showroom which you can see virtually on our website you can walk through the entire room right now and see every millimeter of space in full color uh, and then walk through it on a video call or a voice call and, and talk about the different elements. We have full cutaways on how to do it. Uh, if you're considering a deck, we even have a, a step-by-step guide on the key, key elements, right to where the key structural points go. Um, all of our customers, once they become customers and start their building project with us, uh, get a full you know, 3D rendering of that, and, and it makes it very simple, a layout plan that the city of Winnipeg will enjoy working with you uh, on and makes it easy for the permit side of the business. So really, yes, you can. It's a matter of the wherewithal of learning something new. Uh, Marcel, the the number of uh, different components and the materials that have changed and that have been introduced over the years really makes it possible to do some incredible things right now. Sure, we're starting to see products that um, <laughs> really might outlive our, our ownership of the, uh, of the home. And we've also noticed that that value in return has started to rival and match, you know, interior projects like kitchen and bathrooms. So if you look at decking, of course, and exterior siding, we've got, you know, uh, products that are made of composite materials or or PVC resin materials or uh, wood substrate materials that are guaranteed for 25 and 30 years for no fade, no stain, you know, insect uh, repellent, uh, mold resistant, all those kind of things that have just disappeared color fastness you know a few years ago i'm sure this industry was ripe with all kinds of products that were evolving and they would fade and they wouldn't quite perform in that warranty environment so people were disappointed today it's just not the case we uh we have customers that have happily gone off on their projects and and rightly so we don't hear from them again on a warranty level it's just the product is performing and if you think of today's decking components uh it, it really that's the one that i think people think about the most is that beautiful composite deck the refinement there the investment in that industry is mind mind-boggling it's it every year they're advancing the technology to make it more and more durable we represent a company called azec timber tech um, they've got an armored bar technology, which has actually got an alloy powder, a metal powder into the top to make it more durable, uh, the slip resistance, you know, and, and 30 years of warranty, 35 years of warranty um, with no fader stain. So fantastic lifespan that, that will go to the next homeowner. Marcel Pelland is the general manager at Olympic Building Center. We've just got like 20 seconds. How have things been sure. going during the pandemic? Like everybody else, uh, we've been practicing um as best as we can and and being as respectful as we can and as safe as we can. We thank everybody for their patience with us as we walk through. And like never before, people are getting concierge service from us. We're hand delivering everything into the back of pickup trucks and trailers and uh, keeping our distance. So it's a great time to change and up your service level and be gracious and thankful. And we've been doing everything that everybody else has been doing. 
the frontline workers are certainly taking the brunt of this, you know, uh, and we'd like to thank everybody in Manitoba for doing that. Marcel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this morning. We appreciate it very much. Please stay safe. I really appreciate this opportunity. Marcel Pelland is the general manager at Olympic Building Centre. Their website, olympicbuildingcentre.ca. You can call them at 204-661-8600. They're located at 1783 Dougald Road. Olympic Building Centre, build with confidence. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Keep texting us those favorite barbecue meals at 204-780-6868. Don says barbecue a turkey on a rotisserie. That sounds good. Would you ever try that, Loren McNabb? Oh, yeah, I think so. I don't know if I... Yeah, no, I would. Yeah, if someone else cooked it. I'm nervous about cooking that. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, Grant says ours is cut up potatoes into slices, wrap in tinfoil with onions and butter for 40 minutes at medium heat, do some sirloin steak, top off with mushrooms and foil, and uh, throw in a glass of red wine, fit for a king. Grant, have a good day. And one of our other listeners said it before, just before 7. Thanks, guys. It's not even 7 a.m. and I'm already starving. <laughs> so, yeah, believe us, we're starving, too. We've got a Was net- it Huckleberry Hound? Was it Huckleberry Hound? Were the dog or was it Quick Draw McGraw? I'm really old, so you guys might not <laughs> I don't know. This I, 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 I do not know what for you're the talking treat. about. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. People of certain age will know exactly what I'm talking about, the dog. Uh, uh. And then he gets the treat and he goes up in the air and he falls down to the ground just like a feather. Mm-mm, and that's what's going on in my head right now. Uh, anyway, is sorry. Jackie up right now? I need her to tap you on the shoulder and remind you what's the line she what? has. Uh, I was in uh, nursery school when you were at that Van Halen concert or whatever it was. Jeff, turn off. I'm just Lorenz microphone. <laughs> no can do. We've also got a Netflix gift card to give away fifty dollars worth at eight forty-five. But at nine thirty-five, we will celebrate the one hundred-year anniversary of the Winnipeg Falcons winning Canada's first ever Olympic gold medal in hockey. And nineteen twenty just happens to be the same year. The company, which is the focus of our next conversation, started manufacturing clothing in Winnipeg, Loren. Yeah, their history is fascinating. Freed and Freed is one of the few remaining Canadian fourth-generation family-run businesses in the garment industry, and they're long known for creating ladies' and men fine apparel. They also manufacture men's and ladies' uniforms for the Canadian Armed Forces. Marissa Freed is president of Freed and Freed. And Marissa, welcome to the Stark. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing over there? We're pretty good. Did we get that right? What else did you make here in Winnipeg? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so we do we do make a lot of Canadian branded outerwear. We make for the armed forces, as you mentioned. We make the Canadian Olympic athletes uniforms, and we also do a lot of imports as well for retail stores across North America. Well, Marissa, thanks for doing this, and uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. You're shifting some of your operations here in the battle against COVID-19. What, what are you up to? Good question. Again, um, we really we had a moment where I'm sure as many businesses did, sort of like, oh, no, what do we do now? We were not considered at that point in time an essential business, so we had to halt our operations. And we had about 100 people working basically on the same garment. So because we do an operational base, one person will, for instance, set a zipper and another person will set a sleeve. So one garment goes through the entire line and everybody's relatively close in proximity. Um, so we had to figure out what we could do in a way, one, to try and give at least some of our workers some work because they rely on the income, of course. And two, just in another way, you know, how we could help the general public. So we decided to launch a program and quickly pivot. Uh, the program is now called A Mask by Freed. And we are doing... Um, a few different designs of a cotton washable reusable mask that is actually extremely soft, quite comfortable to wear and very breathable. We're doing that both for adults and kids. 
Now, the history of the garment industry in Winnipeg is really interesting. It continues to survive despite massive changes over the decades. How are you able to make things work here 100 years later? It's a good question, and I keep my fingers crossed every single day, especially through this pandemic. Uh, You never want to be the generation that closes it. Um, So it's a heavy, heavy weight on my shoulders. I guess, you know, all I can say so far is that uh, the people that came before me were incredibly intelligent and talented business people, and I was really lucky to be able to have that history stand behind me to assist me in getting my leg in the door and the avenues that I've pursued. I think you hit it, Melissa. It's the people, right? We were playing in the last hour a story out of the States where a factory uh, kept its employees. They, they agreed to stay there for 40 days or a month plus so that they can produce all these different items that are needing on the front lines in order to help others. And they did that without seeing their family for a full month. And so I'm just highlighting that as an example because it's the people that you work with uh, that I'm guessing really help make a difference, especially at these times. Yeah, absolutely. We're very lucky. I still have some people in my factory that worked for my grandfather. Most of those are closely coming to an age of retirement, but it's 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 quite a meaningful thing, and, and I'm definitely really thankful that uh, those people chose to sort of stay with us throughout all these years. We had Dale Howarchuk on the show uh, earlier this week, and he talked so poetically about hopefully, you know, we're craving this new normal. And he said, hopefully things don't go back to the way they were. Hopefully there are some things that we can do differently uh, based on the perspective that we've gained in this in this pause, as many are calling it. Are you starting to think about what it looks like after this pause, Marissa? For sure. I actually was having a conversation about it the other day with a neighbor of mine. And the question really is, is there a pause? Is there a constant, um, is there going to be a a, a permanent change in society now? I mean, I know that uh, the airlines have mandated as of April 20th, whoever gets on an airplane must wear a mask. And whether that be a washable, reusable mask or whether that be a medical grade, which, by the way, ours are not medical grade. Um, I guess that's to, to up to the wearer. But that's, that's something I think that we're going to start seeing more and more of. There are other cultures, as we all know, that uh, wear masks much more so, and it's much more common in their day-to-day activities. But those are actually more for pollution. Um, although I assume because they're more crowded, there is some thought to it behind, um, you know, maintaining health as well. So... I guess the question becomes, you know, how, where does, after this, where is the appetite for the fashion industry and all all of the other things I think that we typically had taken for granted, um, but enjoyed? And will there still be an appetite for that? Will people be weary? Will they look at their uh, disposable income with a different mindset? So I, I can't say what... In the, where we will end up after this pause, I sure hope that everybody will be more conscious from a health standpoint. Um, but beyond that, I really have no idea what to expect, and it, it's scary for a business. Marissa Freed is president of Freed and Freed. The website is freedandfreed.com. Marissa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. The song is Temptation, and we've been tempting you all morning with all of these delicious barbecue meals that you are suggesting at 204-780-6868. And uh, one of these listeners says, oh man, oh man, pork, back ribs, smoked tenderness, slathered in barbecue sauce. Yum. And the question of the day is, now that we've finally got some warmer weather, many Manitobans are firing up the grill for the first time this year. What's your preference for barbecue slash grilling? Propane, natural gas is one option. Charcoal, smoker, or pellet grill? So you can answer that at cjob.com and on Twitter on 680CJOB. We've got a $50 gift card for Netflix up for grabs in our next segment. And before we 
speak to our next guest just very quickly here, Loren. I understand that uh, we've been bandying about an idea called Flashback Friday. Yeah, we're going to go with it today. This came from our colleague Richard Cloutier, who he and Julie do the news uh, starting at 4 p.m. every day. And we want to just put a call out to our listeners. Uh, what were you doing, say, six or eight weeks ago on this Friday or in and around that time? What was your life looking like pre-pandemic? Or if you want, I know a lot of us get those reminders on our social media feeds. What were you doing a year ago? It's a flashback Friday. Tell us what you were doing and, and maybe we can figure out ways that we can still do those things like grilling or barbecuing or raking your lawn, but from a safe dif- distance. So flashback Friday, send us your photo, 780-6868 and give us some of the joy that came pre-pandemic. Our next guest has one of the coolest job titles going, Greg. Yeah, and he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He's the keeper of the Grey Cup. That means he's the person, get this, who travels with the trophy wherever it goes. It's an amazing job. He's got a big collection of white gloves. But Jeff McWinnie also has an amazing connection to the cup. His dad's name is on it. In fact, Glenn McWinnie was nicknamed the keeper back when he helped the (coughs) Edmonton Eskimos win a cup in the 1950s. He then returned to his hometown of Winnipeg where he played with the Blue Bombers, Loren. I heard that cough. I know what you're thinking, Greg, but he did play with the Bombers in the end, and now his son is carrying on his dad's love of the game by carrying around the cup. If not literally, then you know, he's with it. And while we don't know what this season will look like with the CFL currently on hold, Jeff McWinney says there are still plenty of inspirational stories and names to be found on that cup and off the field. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Uh, how's everyone today? We're pretty good and we're pretty excited to talk to you because we love chatting football and we want to hear some of your stories. But before we get to them, just the cup's not with you right now, right? You're not sitting with it in the basement or anything like that? No, actually, we're. Uh, it's in a... It's Having a few touch-ups is kind of a, an outpatient surgery. Uh, it's not quite like uh, the way, uh, say, Matt Dunnigan. You know, Matt, there's no more injuries than anybody has like uh, Matt Dunnigan has. But, uh, yeah, we've had a couple of scrapes, and we're fixing the box and uh, getting it prepped um, with all the hope and, uh, that we're going to have a great cup in, and a season this year. So, uh, Jeff, uh, you and I have had the good fortune, well, I've yeah. had the good fortune to bump into you several times, uh, including on Grey Cup Sunday. I bumped into you in the elevator at McMahon Stadium when you were taking the cup down to the field to ultimately uh, have it presented to the Blue Bombers. That had to be extra special for you to have the job that you have and for the Bombers to finally do it while you are the keeper of the cup. You know, it's pretty cool uh, when you know some of these guys like Andrew Harris and you know how hard they've, you know, they've struggled, you know, to get to this. You know, you've got some great players on there that have had to fill the boots of, say, Roger Savoir or Kenny Plain. And, you know, when you're in my position and you start meeting all the administrators, whether they're equipment managers or even the fans from different cities, it, but it's one of those things you, you almost, you're a Canadian and you feel so much... Um, to every team. So it's really difficult to choose a team now. Like eight or ten years ago, I would have said all the way. But it was really good to see a great game because you, you fell in love with the league. That was my team that day. I got to ask you, you know, I'm curious to know what, what you feel when you see things like when the Bombers came back to the airport, the, the great cup was in more than one piece. They were having to hold pieces of it, or then it almost went up in flames in a hotel in Kenora. Uh, as the keeper of the cup, does it give you anxiety when you uh, see the cup sort of in danger like that? Yes. Any of us that have had the position of being able to be the trustee of, of the, the Great Cup, fire is no... It, it, it's no stranger to fire. In 1947, we had the same situation, and it was the only only trophy to survive in 1947 when uh, the Toronto Argonauts uh, trophy house went up in flames. Uh, that's a, a, a great story. And then we cascade into 2019, and it was, uh, it was a story that, yeah, it, it worried us, but I knew who was involved with it. It was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who have 11 great championships, you know, and uh, what a great number for having old number 11 being our uh, you know, Kenny Plain. So, you know, we look at 35, 39, 41, 58, 59, 61, 62, 84, 88, and, you know, 90 plus 2019. You look at those, and we know we've survived wars. We've survived uh, fires. We've been, we've been uh, stolen and ransomed. 
So, you know, in the words of Jacob Dar, you can take our trophy, but you can't take our freedom. Um, I think that's where we go with, uh, you don't worry about it as much. Sure, it's an aesthetic thing that you want to make sure the, the cup that your father or your uncle or your grandfather drank out of is, is maintained and, the, you know, it's revered. But you come back to where we are right now, we're, we're in another war and uh, we haven't, we're having to fight it. And so the trophy is just an indication of a great storybook of a, a great country that was, you know, you look at 1909, we have 6.7 million people in our country, and we, we figure it out, and, 40, 40, and that was 41 years old. We were only 41 years old, and we went to war five years, six years later. And we taught countries that were thousands of years old, and they're going, well, here we go. We have, we have to teach these people peace. And we were great peacemakers that year in 1617, 18, and 19. You know, so much of it's history, Jeff, and, and we mentioned the special connection, the fact that your father's name is on it, uh, which must be so incredible just to see every time as a reminder of all he did and all he meant in your life. But there's some yeah. other names you want to highlight this morning as well, and especially in light of the pandemic that we're, we're all working to get through. You know, our front lines have been some pretty strong front lines since 1909. And, you know, we, we speak specifically about some of the players, but we have a great locker room here. This locker room is just not the 16 that were in on the plate in 1909 or the 51 that are on the 2019 plate. It's about 38 million Canadians. And we have some great Canadians that are on the front line that are part of the CFL family. You know, you take a look at Stu Laird, two-time Grey Cup champion. He's a uh, deputy battalion chief in Calgary. He's a Calgary Stampeder. This guy is amazing. You know, you, you, you just go a little north of that and you go to Robbie Brown, who's a 10-year veteran of uh, uh, the Canadian Football League, a 2002 Grey Cup champion. He's took the uh, top cop honours. He's a Edmonton Police Service. Could play today by the, by the way he looks. And, you know, we, we come home. We could go to Brian Krupolo, who's one of our, he's a dear friend of mine, He's a referee and Winnipeg Police Service Sergeant and a cool guy that's a chairman of our Bear Clan. So all these community things, these guys are frontline guys, and they're sacrificing every single day. Now, the final guy that I look at, and I look at him with a great deal of respect because he's the kind of guy that will walk by your table and, and tell, tell you at, whether it's we're playing Saskatchewan and we're having breakfast, they're, in, they're having their meetings, and I'm at the table, and he comes by and goes, Jeff, your, your breakfast is taken care of. So he's, a, he's one of those guys that he knows what family is, he knows the right thing to do, and he's COVID, he took COVID-19, and him and his wife, and that's Al Bradbury. Al Bradbury's, a, you know, you think he's wearing pads out there, but he's not. He's, a, he's, he's got a big heart, uh, and he, uh, he does the league proud. A long history of police officers and uh, being a member of a CFL officiating crews. Jeff, your dad has a park named for him on Roach Street. It's all in blue and gold. It's a an amazing, neat little spot. But, uh, you know, the last time I saw you, you were uh, honoring another gentleman who died in uh, the line of duty. Uh, that was Constable Alan Popes. And his connection to this year's Grey Cup is uh, indelible. Yeah, I will not forget him. Fifty-four zero nine five member. That was one of the toughest things um, I've had to do as a trustee. We had a departure uh, during the funeral. We have our our formal uh, departure notice, and we have the gloves that are right underneath the dedication plate, and they're facing upward. At the time of reveille, we turn them over and we we release him from his duties. As normally, this is for a trustee when we say goodbye to a trustee or a Hall of Famer, we turn the gloves over and we say goodbye. That was, that was extremely tough. Well, Jeff, hey, listen, thank you so much uh, for taking a few minutes to talk to us this morning. This has been wonderful. Uh, how many pairs of those white gloves do you have, by the way? Well, I, uh, interesting enough, I do. I choose a number, and it's, uh, it, it's either 81 or 93. And I use those numbers. I take 81 gloves with me or 93 gloves, depending on uh, how many I can get in time. But I always use those, that number because they're my dad's numbers. Oh, I love it. That's wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. You guys have been great. And you know what? God bless you and God bless Canada. We've got a great thing going on here. You stay safe. And uh, Kelly Moore, uh, yeah, there's a good, great guy. Uh, you guys got great people there. 
On March 25th, the Canadian government imposed the Quarantine Act in its battle against the novel coronavirus. Yeah, and the decree meant that any non-essential travellers coming into Canada were ordered to self-quarantine for 14 days, whether they have symptoms or had symptoms of COVID-19 or not. Those who defy the order, which remains in effect, could face fines or arrest. Our next guest is just about finished with her two weeks long quarantine, following her return along with her football playing husband from the United States, Loren. Yeah, and we're pleased to welcome back Chelsea Rowe on the start. And before we get going here, for those that don't know, Chelsea's husband, Craig, is a former member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He's now a member of the Toronto Argonauts. Last time we spoke to Chelsea, they were preparing and talking about that move to Toronto. Good morning, Chelsea. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me again. Before I ask about what took you south in the first place, you're, you're still in Winnipeg right now? We are, yeah. I know you're big fans of Winnipeg. You mentioned that the last time. I want to ask what took you guys south in the first place? Um, we, so, um, we had a family business, and it just happened right before COVID that um, a person, a big part of the organization was leaving, and she left a lot sooner than, um, than we expected. She was supposed to leave in the summertime. And so I kind of had to rush down there to learn the job and kind of take over. And that's when kind of COVID hit. And Craig and I weren't sure if we would be separated for a really long time. So he decided to come with me. And luckily, with his uh, tech job at Skip the Dishes, everybody is working from home. So he was able to do his job from Arizona. So, Well, we know how you feel about Winnipeg. And uh, you and Craig have become an incredible part of the community. When does your quarantine actually end, Chelsea? Oh, on Sunday. And I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> to go outside. <laughs> it sounds so silly, but we had a we had a call on day three from the co- the government of Canada, just like checking on us, making sure we knew the rules. And um, but I was surprised on day eight we had a knock on our door and like a call from the Winnipeg Police Department. So they actually sent two people over to make sure that we were at home. So that was a little. Um, no, I mean, we were home and of course we want to keep everybody safe and we're doing what we need to do. Um, but I was, I felt like I was kind of in uh, house arrest with them just showing up to my door. So. So then, so people have been checking in on you at least? You have been completely alone? Yeah, no, they've been checking on me, but mostly, I mean, just the government. We, we had the, the big hills grocery shop for us. So that was really helpful. <laughs> um, but I think we're just really excited to go just take a walk outside. The weather is now beautiful. So just looking forward to that. Would you say that's been the biggest challenge, Chelsea? Because it's, because it's one thing for you know me to say, you know, I'm, I've tried not to go into any stores for the past month and done a lot of home deliveries and, and click and collects and all those kinds of things. And we've done a ton of walks, which is pretty... I even started running again, for goodness sakes, just so I could have something to do and get outside. And that's yeah. not my thing. What's been the biggest challenge for you and for Craig? Yeah, it's the outdoors part. I mean, I'm a person that I like to go to the grocery store, but obviously now that needs to change with just the frequency in which I grocery shop. But I think for the both of us, it's just being able to like get outside of our home. We've just been staring out our windows for days. And so I think we're going to take like probably a couple mile walk around White Ridge on Sunday. <laughs> so so Chelsea, what have the limitations been? Have you been allowed to, to, to leave at all? No, no, we're not allowed to leave past our balcony. I have gone into like my condo complex to like check my mail or pick up like skip the dishes and that kind of thing. But we're really supposed to be just isolated within our unit and just as far as our balcony. So you can't even step out the front door? No, we're not. I mean, I, I think I maybe broke the rules a little bit, but I was like carrying hand like Lysol wipes with me and wiping down everything. And I'm just, yeah. So we really were supposed to stay in like our just unit. So. So what's the biggest challenge been for you, for Craig? I'm looking at a video of him right now. Uh, this is from about a week ago, him running around your, what looks like your condo and him uh, making up different drills as he, as he runs around the place. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, I mean, and you know, 
I would say players across the CFL and probably the NFL too, they're having such a tough time with all the gyms being closed, trying to find ways to exercise. And then think Craig's stuck in a 1200 square foot condo trying to like keep up with his football strength. He, I mean, he's doing everything that he can do. Luckily we had a really, um, we had a fan, uh, I tweeted out that we needed some push-up handles for him and he was able to bring them over to us. So Craig's been able to work out, but he's, He's going really stir crazy. I actually saw someone on the street the other day. They had invented what looked like their own CrossFit training thing where they were pulling their daughter on like a huge tire. I have no idea where they got the tire from, but they were doing these sprints (laughs) back and forth because everyone's looking for ways to ages like entertain the mind, but also the body. And so Craig's obviously trying to stay fit like a lot of people for hopefully what will be some sort of season, but we don't know that yet. And then you guys also have to prepare for a move, which is easier said than done in these times, Chelsea? Yeah, luckily our, we were supposed to, our lease was up at the end of May, but luckily Towers has been really good with working with us, just with the unknown. And even the person we signed a lease in Toronto, they, they were willing to work with us and, you know, not hold us to the agreement with everything going on. So as of right now, we're in Winnipeg until we hear otherwise from the CFLPA and the CFL. So we're really excited because the weather's great now. So being locked inside with anybody for an extended period of time uh, could be stressful to have to go two weeks. Has everything been peaceful with you two? Surprisingly, yes. You know, it's funny. Uh, We are cable box, so our unit is like wired for Bell, but we actually took Shaw with us from uh, Vancouver. And so um, our cable box went out. A couple of days ago and it, they can't fix it unless a technician comes in because it has to do with the wiring so we got a little antsy with not having cable but what we've been doing is we've been playing video games and so i think even though maybe there's frustrations between like the both of us just being in such close quarters we kind of take it out on each other on video games so <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of helping a little bit well now i've got to know uh, inquiring minds want to know what video yeah. games are you playing against one another oh, we're we're well we we play Fortnite, so we play together but um we also have like super smash brothers we have it on the n64 and craig used to bring the old n64 to the bombers facility and all the guys used to play super smash brothers together and so now we have it you know it was ours so we have it at our house so we play that as well <laughs> n64 so. good for you i yes, haven't heard that mentioned my- in a long time my my old school N64. It was awesome that I kept it. You know, I brought it from Arizona to Vancouver all the way to Winnipeg and it was used. So before we let you go, Chelsea, so the quarantine ends Sunday after your return from the States. You've been in your condo for two straight weeks. Can't go past the balcony. The, is the walk the first thing you're going to do? Are you going to run outside like arms in the air screaming? How do you celebrate Sunday? Oh, yes. We already talked about going like on a five mile walk and then we're pretty close to the South Landing DeLuca's. So I, I'm planning on going to Duluca's because I'm trying to like shop local within Winnipeg and just kind of build up those small businesses. And then I think we maybe have like a walk planned with the Big Hills on Sunday too. I don't know. We're just going to be outside for all of the day most of the time. So well, they don't sell wine at that uh, Duluca's uh, location, do they, Chelsea? Ah, <laughs> uh, I know not not at that one, unfortunately. But they oh, sell sugary, oh. <laughs> sugary treats. So. We'll go with that. Very good. Chelsea, enjoy your freedom on Sunday. We appreciate you taking the time to check in with us. And good for you for keeping keeping your chin up and keeping so positive in this. Yeah, of course. Have a great Friday, you guys. Chelsea Rowe joining us live on 680 CJOB. Her husband, Craig, is a former member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, now a member of the Toronto Argonauts. Her quarantine, their quarantine ends on Sunday. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB on a Friday as we head into the weekend and as the National Hockey League continues to discuss how to restart its 2019-2020 season. April 26th marks the 100th anniversary of one of the incredibly special sports stories. And of course, it's a hockey story. The Winnipeg Falcons were Canada's representative at the 1920 Summer Olympic Games in Antwerp, Belgium. And Sunday marks the centennial, 100 years of that incredible achievement by a group of Manitobans. Let's say that twice. They were Manitobans who were actually shunned and ignored in many circles in their hometown, Greg. 
Yeah, the team was made up primarily of Icelanders from Winnipeg's West End, West End legends in the truest sense. Their achievement went largely unheralded until the last 20 years or so. The team was finally inducted into the Canadian Olympic Hall of Fame in 2006. Eric Zweig is the author of the book Long Shot, How the Winnipeg Falcons Won the First Olympic Hockey Gold. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well today. Now, I'm not sure what fascinates me more. The fact that this was Canada's first hockey gold or the fact that games were played in the Summer Olympics. We'll talk about those things if we have time. But the Winnipeg Falcons, tell us a little bit about this team and how they were treated before they went on to this incredible accomplishment. Well, Winnipeg was a city, and I guess really society at large. I mean, there was a lot more open racism a uh, hundred years ago and, and more than, than there is now. And as a team of Icelandic descent, they, they had a difficult time in Winnipeg. Uh, they had always, in the earlier days, like the late 1890s into the early 1900s, the Icelandic community had formed its own sports organizations. There were two different groups, and they had their own teams, and they played in their own league. Eventually, the two merged into one, called themselves the Falcons. The Falcon is sort of like an eagle in American uh, lore to, to Icelandic. Um, now they had one team, but they had nowhere to play. So the, the, the more elite teams in Winnipeg were, were wealthier families and wealthier teams, the, the Monarchs, the Victorias. I mean, they have names that conjure those kind of things. Uh, and they didn't want to play with, with basically immigrant kids. Um, they so the Falcons would band with teams from I mean a few smaller groups in Winnipeg and with teams in other cities Selkirk and Brandon and Portsville Prairie and play in their own leagues. Um, eventually, when the war breaks out and so many of the Falcons players enlisted, everybody basically who was an age, of age enlisted to fight in the war, and suddenly it was hard to be prejudiced against people who were who were taking part that way. So the, the all the leagues in Manitoba sort of merged and became a a war-based hockey league. The Falcons were allowed to play. Then after a couple of seasons, most of the players were, were serving in the Army. When they came back, the younger guys who hadn't gone overseas wanted to get the team back together, and the, the, the veteran guys finally agreed. And once again, now that they sort of didn't need them in the same way, the, the fancier Winnipeg teams didn't want them in the league. And so once again, they had to form uh, unions with, with other cities in the province there was a Manitoba League now and a, and a Winnipeg League. The one agreement they reached was at the end of the season, the two champions would play. The Falcons won the league. Uh, Selkirk was the other big team in the league that year, and I think Brandon was the third team. The Falcons won the league and then crushed the Winnipeg team that had won the Winnipeg championship and so got to be the Western representative for the Allen Cup, which they then won. Then they went to Toronto, beat the University of Toronto, and won the Allen Cup, which was really at least probably even more important than the Stanley cup in those days, because, because the Allen cup was representative of communities and, and teams and cities all across the country. Whereas the Stanley cup was just for a handful of pro teams and winning the Allen cup that year gave them the right to go to the uh, Olympics and represent Canada. Uh, the first time hockey was included in the Olympics. So Winnipeg's had just a roller coaster relationship with hockey on the professional level since 1972 that is a very small part of the incredible history of hockey in Winnipeg, which includes three Stanley Cups and not one, but two Olympic championship teams. Can you take us back to uh, 1896 for a few moments, if you would, and the, the foundation that created uh, Winnipeg's hockey history? Yeah, well, Winnipeg first had teams about 1889, 1890. Uh, the hockey was very big in, in the Montreal, Quebec, uh, Ottawa area. That's sort of where the modern game begins and winnipeg was sort of on its own out there in the west playing with their own teams in the 1893 the uh, team of winnipeggers made a trip to eastern canada to basically play and learn and observe hockey by 1895 there the winnipeg teams were really quite good and learned of the stanley cup which had been donated in 1893 and challenged for the stanley cup the winnipeg victorias challenged for the stanley cup against the montreal victorias um, and went to Montreal and beat them, and it was quite a surprise to the people in the East. Though Winnipeg teams had traveled East, as we've said, I've said, uh, and, and and done fairly well, but still, it was fairly shocking. And so the the Winnipeg now wins the Stanley Cup, brings it back to Winnipeg. In those days, there's no one big league like the NHL today, so the Stanley Cup sort of belongs to whichever team wins it. 
So now, suddenly, Montreal wants the Stanley Cup back. They have to challenge as the when they regain the championship in their league, they challenge Winnipeg at the end of the, the calendar, the beginning of the next season, really, in December of 1896. And suddenly, hockey is national news. Like, the fact that Winnipeg won, I think, really makes hockey a national sport in Canada. It, it moves beyond just this small interest in the, I mean, admittedly, the biggest uh, provincial or the biggest uh, population part of the country in the, in, in the Toronto, Quebec, Montreal area. But suddenly now it's national news, and there's there's reports all across the country of when teams are challenging for the Stanley Cup. And, of course, in February in 1896, when the Winnipeg team first goes to Montreal, this is the first time that I'm aware of that there are, like, telegraph reports back to the city from Montreal and people gathering in hotels by the hundreds to sort of listen to the broadcast reports coming in from... It really, it to me, it, it really is the beginning of... of hockey becoming Canada's national sport, and Winnipeg plays wow. a big part in that. Wow. It's where the passion began, really, and, and how we got to where we are. Uh, I have to get back to one of the things Greg brought up a few minutes ago, Eric, and that's the fact that hockey was included <laughs> in the summer games. What, what was going on there? Well, the, the Olympics had been cancelled in 1916 because of the First World War. And in 1920. The, the games were awarded to Belgium because Belgium had basically been devastated during the war. I mean, it was the battlefield where most, you know, France and Belgium were the, the Western Front. All the, the worst devastation had gone on in those areas. And so it was a sort of tip to the bravery of the Belgian people to have survived this, that the Olympics are awarded there. And because it was the first time back, there hadn't been the Olympics now since 1912, I guess. Uh, they decided to hold a spring sports festival before the Summer Olympics began. And and winter sports were included. So there was hockey and there was figure skating. And uh, the hockey tournament was big. I mean, this is really the first international hockey tournament of this kind of level. Um, people knew, you know, the Canadians and the Americans basically were the overwhelming favorite. And the, the game between the Falcons and the U.S. team, which was an actual all-star team, it was like the Falcons had won as Canada's national amateur champions and earn the right. But the Americans picked an all-star team sort of the way they, you know, the NHL all-stars go to the Olympics in modern times. Uh, and the game, I mean, people people in Europe were stunned by how well these two teams played hockey. I mean, it was a pretty small-time game in the, in Europe at this point. And the, the, the rink in Belgium held about 1,600 people, and they say like 10 times that wanted to get in. And there's stories of, like, men in tuxedos asking the Falcons players as they're heading into the ring, oh, can I grab your equipment bag? Can I carry your stick in? Like, something so that they could walk into the rink with them. Like, I'm a part of the team. The, the excitement of this game and the way it's described in the European papers and stuff, like, they're just stunned by how well these teams play hockey. Eric, uh, Brett, I should check with you. Have you got time for one more question here for yeah. Eric? Yeah, let her buck. Okay, I just have to know a little bit know know a little bit more about the Falcons and some of the exploits of the Falcon players uh, after the Olympics. Maybe you could give us uh, one or two examples, Eric, before we run out of time. Well, Frank Fredrickson was their biggest star. He's a name people might actually still know. He's a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. A handful of the players on the Falcons team continued to play amateur hockey and even minor pro hockey. A few went on to the NHL. Uh, Frank Fredrickson was the best of them. He was a star in the Pacific Coast Hockey Association, which was a rival to the NHL in those days. They won a few scoring titles, won the Stanley Cup in 1925 with the uh, Victoria team in the Western Hockey League, went on to play in the NHL. And he, he was a, a fascinating person. Like There's too much I can't go into. But he, he coached hockey. He coached at Princeton. It said when he was in Princeton that he was quite friendly with uh, – with uh, Albert Einstein, who was at Princeton at the time, and the two of them would play their violins together. He later lived in Vancouver and was a, 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 a public servant, a, a member of the city government in Vancouver for years and years. He was quite a, they all were, they were all like really well-rounded people in the way we don't think of athletes too much these days. Um, but he's the most fascinating of them and, and the most famous, so it's easier to tell his story. <laughs> Wow. Thanks so much for this, Eric. The book is Long Shot, How the Winnipeg Falcons Won the First Olympic Hockey Gold that took place 100 years ago this coming Sunday. Eric, we'll uh, have to make a date to talk with you again sometime. Sure, great. And the first game, the very first game of the tournament took place this day, about 2 o'clock this afternoon, your time would be the Falcons facing off to start the Olympic, uh, their first game. Neat. <laughs> very cool. Eric Zweig, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it, sir.
All right. Thank you very much. And not to distract from hockey, Greg, but you did. I do want to pivot just briefly to football because you've pointed out that somebody is marking their own occasion today. Yeah, if we're going to celebrate sport a little bit today, happy birthday to Winnipeg Blue Bomber running back Andrew Harris. And uh, he happens to be 33 years old today, matches his jersey number. I don't know if that's a champagne sort of birthday or not. But I uh, could probably make that work. Yeah, why not? What was the champagne birthday again? Was that the year matching your date? Yeah. Like the, like- the, the day of the, yeah. So if like for me, oh, you tell it, Brett. September 22nd is my birthday. So when I turned 22, that was my champagne birthday. And did you partake in the champagne? I don't think I had champagne, but I definitely <laughs> had a lot of uh, a lot of, of Johnny. Johnny Bacardi paid me a visit that day. Oh, <laughs> your friend came over. How nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe brought his friend Bobby Bacardi along too. There's, there's a whole family of them, you see. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.